I'm on? Good. Good, okay. Yes. Just to say, um, there was a charity auction on there that said on the 26th of July. That's actually been put back now into August. I, uh, um, it's been moved to, I think, the 23rd of August. So that will, that, ignore that notice. The date will be updated and, uh, and, and, and changed. It got changed this, this week. Anyway, my name's Sai. Great to, great to speak with you this morning and share God's words. I've got some great news for you this morning from a friend of mine in Uganda, a guy called Emmanuel Pio. His picture should appear up here with Owen behind me. There he is there with his smiley face. He's a lovely man of God. He's the, um, what we would call the, um, I suppose we'd call him the executive head. He's a director of studies over there of um, uh, Blessed Hope Primary School that we've been out to as a church and done some work there. He and his wife uh, are in their sort of mid to late 40s. They've um, not been able to have children, so they've seen it as part of their calling to sponsor about 40 children through education over there. He's been on some many dangerous situations uh, with, with me, even more dangerous situations than I've been on as well, um, in service of God and what God is doing there. He's a great man. And I got this message for, from him this week, which was at the end of a long message, and I'll just read a bit of it to you. It says this. Finally, we have been married for the last 16 years without a child. Just like Sarah and Abraham was remembered by God and given a baby boy, in the same way, the scan revealed that Precious, that's his wife, is two months pregnant with twins. Amen. I thought you'd be pleased at that. Can you... Uh, can you keep them in your prayers, please? Because uh, obviously having a baby can be, there can be lots of complications, even more so when there's, there's twins and they don't have all the medical stuff that we do here. But praise God that he's met with them. Do you know, and it's funny, isn't it, that in one sense and on one level, getting pregnant is so simple and straightforward that a child can sort of understand it and get their head around it. And yet at another level, it's so complex and uh, just sort of spellbindingly intricate that even the greatest minds can't fully understand it. And even though there's been billions and billions of pounds of research into it, the more we discover, the more we realize there is to discover about the whole pregnancy process and giving birth and all, all that, that sort of thing. And it's a little bit like that on the passage that I'm going to look at with you today, where we look at God is love. It, the, the, in this passage, it contains those words that God is love. And whilst on one level it's so simple that a child could understand this message, uh, on the other side of that, it's so complex that even the greatest theologians, there should be a picture coming up of a J.I. Packer on there, one of the greatest theologians alive today. Um, even they struggle to exhaust all the meanings that is in, uh, in this passage. So I'm just, just highlighting, I'm only going to be scratching the surface of what's revealed in the passage that we, that we read today. But it's one of those great truths about God, that you know, God is love. Elsewhere we're told that God is light, God is is spirit. These are things that, as I say, we can immediately, even a child can understand the, the sort of the, the nub of what's being saying there, but to exhaust its full meaning, we don't have the capacity 
or the capability to just plumb the depths of these statements. As I read this passage, remember that image I used of a bird of prey, that John is like, John in, in classic Hebrew style, is like a bird of prey circling around his target. And as last week Anna looked at um, those people, false teachers and those that were drifting into error, now he's moved on from that. He's circling back round to look at the love of God again. And he looks at it from several different angles. As we read the passage, have that image in your mind because it will help you. You'll see he keeps revisiting the same theme over and over again. So let's read it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John 4 and we'll start in verse 7. It says this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, he has, seen, who he, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our 
faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Amen. And there's just two simple points I want to bring out this morning to you. Firstly, that God is love. And then secondly, God's love perfected in us. Starts by saying, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then a little later, because it's so profound, he, he flips this around and views it more positively or, and says, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 7 tells us that love is from God. And verse 19, that we love because he first loved us. These statements are incredible because it not only teaches us that the, the love that we have for God and one another actually find their origin in God's love for us, but it teaches us that actually that all love, any love that people have experienced, any true love that people have experienced is actually from God. The, the ultimate source of all true love is God himself because God is love. The theologian Howard Marshall tells us that these statements signify more than God loves for its effect is to claim that all of God's actions are loving. And let me be clear, it's not saying, the passage isn't saying that love is God. That would be a very different statement. No, it's saying that God is love. Just as John could say earlier, that God is light. Marshall goes on to say about this, that God is all-loving and equally all-holy. These two characteristics do not stand in opposition to one another, but belong together and determine his actions. So you see, love doesn't necessarily personify God. Rather, more, more accurately, actually, God defines what love is. As we look at the person of God, it, love is not some you know, nebulous concept, it's not some vague feeling. It is very much rooted in the person of God himself. So when God said to his chosen people that I've loved you with an everlasting love, the Israelites at that time could look at their history, they could look at what God was doing amongst them at that time, they could look at the future prophecies that they had had about their nation and see, yes, he has, because he has been good and faithful to us. It wasn't a vague thing, it was rooted in their experience of how God had dealt with them as a people. But of course, chiefly, as our passage highlights, God's love is demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. It says this, In this, the love of God was manifest amongst us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Remember, propitiation is, is just a, not a word we use every day. It's just a big word to talk about how 
God has dealt with his righteous anger against our wrongdoing, against our wickedness. David Jackman says this about that verse. He says, Love finds the means by which God's just and righteous wrath can be satisfied and so turned away in order that forgiveness may be offered to to you and I and reconciliation between us and God can be achieved. You see, God is so holy. He's so righteous. He's when he looks down at this earth, he's not necessarily, you know, have we might look down at our kids and think, oh, they're all right, really. Actually, God sees all the wickedness. He sees all everything. He sees right the way down to the thoughts and motives of each person's heart. And when people are thinking stuff that's not nice or not kind, even towards other people, actually, that's somebody that God loves. And so it actually upsets God. He's not pleased with that in, when he sees that in us. But worse than what we do to each other, which is bad enough, because as I say, God loves uh, each person. Worse than what we do to each other is what we do to God on a daily basis. How we ignore him. How we don't give him the honor that's due his name. How we make cheap his grace and his kindness and his goodness, how we, how we destroy this wonderful world that he's given us, how we go about our lives serving our own interests rather than the one who gave you your life and the one who gives you your very next breath. It's no small thing. Calvin, commenting on verse 10, says this, the apostle assumes as evident truth taught in scripture that we are born so corrupt and depraved that there is a sort of innate hatred to God born in us so that we desire nothing but what is displeasing to him and all the passions of our flesh continually war against his righteousness. It's not a good picture, but actually it is the picture that the Bible presents of mankind. We're not a, you know, essentially good and we'll sort it out if we're left to it. No, no, that's not the picture the Bible presents. Actually, there's a sense in which we will deviate to what is wrong. We will deviate to what is selfish in, in that. And yet, against this backdrop, we see the love of God. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to save us, to make a way for us. The Apostle Paul writes this in the book of Ephesians. He says, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he has loved us, Whilst we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So you see, it's not because of any redeeming quality in you or in me that God decided, oh yeah, these people, they're all right, let's, let's try and save them. Let's make a way to save them. No, it's precisely because God is love that he made a way to save Mankind made a way for us to get right with him. Through Jesus' life and death on the cross, he made a way for you and I to have our sins 
forgiven and for Jesus to take on himself all the things that we have done wrong. Or as John puts it here, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And a little later he says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, don't think, oh, I, I should have, what I've got to do is I've got to try a bit harder. I've got to try and be a better person, do a little bit more, and uh, maybe God will accept me. None of us, by ourselves, will ever be good enough for God. You see, you're seriously either underestimating how good God is, or actually how bad you and I are. And probably you're doing both. But you see, God, the Apostle Paul tells us, shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. As we realize our complete inadequacy, our complete inability to please God, and we turn to him, or as the song we just sung says, in desperation, we turn to heaven and speak his name into the night. As we turn to him for help, we receive it. Or as our passage says here, we suddenly realize we come to know and believe the love that God has for us. That's how much God loves you. Not because of anything in us. We don't earn it. We receive his love because it's a free gift to us. Because God is love. He is a God of love. And it's precisely because that God is a God of love that John can write that the Father has sent his Son into the world to be its saviour. He's made a way for all of us. And in him, he saves you. You're forgiven from God's wrath. You're forgiven from, you're forgiven from your sins and you're spared from God's wrath towards you. So that we can have confidence in the day of judgment, knowing that God's perfect love has driven away that fear, that fear of judgment that was, was awaiting us. And just as Jesus rose from the dead three days later, we know that those who put their faith in him, that we too will rise again to be with him for all eternity because of we put our trust in Jesus. Or to use John's words in this passage, we've confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. But you see, not only then do you know that you'll rise from the grave to be with Jesus forever and ever, that you have eternal life, but actually God's Spirit, His Spirit comes and lives in you. It comes and abides in you. You abide in God and Him in you. He has given us His Holy Spirit to make His home in us, to change us, to transform us, to become more like Jesus, to become more like Him, but also so that we may know His love that he has for you. He wants you to experience it. It's not just supposed to be a one-off experience when you first come to faith and you think, oh, wow, this love is amazing, and you, and you feel it in your heart. Actually, it's supposed to be something that we grow in, that we know day to day more 
of his love, not just academically, but in your heart as well. The Apostle Paul says these great words in Ephesians 3. He says that he prays for us that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You're supposed to experience more of God's love. He's got more of his love that he wants to pour into your heart, even today. Turn to the person next to you and say, God wants to pour his love into your heart. It's true. Think, think of it a bit like, a little bit like this. Think of it a bit like good food that God has for, uh, for you. If you've gone to the next slide, there should be a picture of, of what, you know, it's the nation's favourite, a curry uh, on there. Some good food. Now, we live in a country that we have the privilege of not just eating to survive, but actually we can enjoy good food. Where we're going next January as a team, as a, as a church, there, that's a place where actually for a large part of the year they have to eat to survive. And thank you for uh, the money that you generously gave at Christmas time. We were able to send a gift over to that area. And there will be people alive there next year that we will be able to meet that wouldn't have been alive had we not sent a gift over there because of, because of famine and the, and the rains not coming properly as, as they should. But we don't live in that, in that, in that sort of uh, environment, thankfully. Thankfully, we get to enjoy good food. Now, none of us would say, well, actually, do you know what? I had a really tasty good meal back in 2015. I'm good, thanks. I, I don't need another good meal. I, I had one back there. I can remember what that tastes like. That's, that's good for me. Now, maybe not every day. Some of you may be blessed to have it every day. But certainly, like once or twice a week, all of us can have a meal that we think, yeah, I can re I'm really looking forward to this. It's going to be so tasty. And my friends, God has super satisfying love that he wants to pour out into your hearts every day. There's no end to his love. There's no limit to his love. He wants you to experience more of his love into your heart and into, into your life. Let's not settle for less as Christians. God is love and he wants you to know more of his love in your life. You see, he's adopted you into his family through faith in Jesus. And he wants you to know his love and his pleasure on your life. It doesn't mean that in your life everything's going to go well, everything's going to go swimmingly the moment you turn to Jesus, or you know, as you live for him more, everything's going to be fine. No, no, it's not. Actually, Jesus says that if you follow him, it probably is going to get worse for you because you're going to face trouble and difficulty in this life. Plus, also, God is a good father. And actually, he, there's things in our life, in our character, that he's wanting to shape 
And he uses difficulties and trials, the Bible tells us, in order to shape those areas of our life. So as we listen to him, as we put trust in him and faith in him, he deals with some of those rougher bits of our, of our character. But even in the midst of those difficulties and those trials, you can still know the love of God on your life. If you read Christian biographies of you know, some of the great men and women of faith that have done some things, you'll often find that actually it's at their darkest points, at the, as life it's most hardest, that actually at that point they have an experience of God's love. And particularly as they're coming through that point, they're suddenly aware of God's love to a greater measure than they ever have done before. As you grow in your walk with God, as you grow in your knowledge of God, you should also be growing in your experience of God's love for you personally. It's not just an academic thing, it's a heart thing. Kaismaker says this, Love and knowledge of God are two sides of the same coin. God, whose essence is love, approaches his people in love. It's precisely because God is love that we who are truly born again, we who are children, sons and daughters of our heavenly Father, should not only increasingly experience the love of God, but we should increasingly be characterized by the love of God in your life as well. And that leads me on to my last point. God's love perfected in us. You know, rivers and lakes are places where life teems, aren't they? Actually, many of the great cities and old cities in the world were built upon rivers, or next to rivers and, and, and lakes, as London and, and Paris uh, up there, even in some of the most difficult and hostile places in the world. If there's a river running through it, like the Sahara Desert, then life can survive by that river, as you can see on that picture up there. But when water gets landlocked, that beautiful life-giving source becomes a place of death, like in the Dead Sea in Israel or the salt lakes in, in Utah in, in America. And my friends, we as believers are called to be channels of God's love. We're not supposed to be dams or we keep it all for ourselves. We're supposed to be channels of God's love so that his love can flow through you and his life can flow through you into those around you. His great love for us is not just there to make us happy and feel secure, although it does do that, and actually that is part of it, but it's not just for that. It's so that it can flow through you and you as his true children, you as believers, can reflect God and reflect his love to other people so that it brings him much glory. That's what God is wanting to do through you and through me. As his children, we should naturally grow in love because God is love and we should reflect our Heavenly Father. And although this passage doesn't directly uh, address this, our love should not only be for um, uh, God and his church, but it should also be for the world around us as we demonstrate God's goodness 
to the world around us. Love should be so natural, you see, for a Christian that John can write, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. It's a fruit of knowing God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. So in John's mind, you know, if you know God, then you're going to be loving. That's what he's saying there. My friends, are you characterized by love this morning? Is that something that when people talk about you, do they say, oh yeah, he's such a, such a lovely chap, such a, such a kind lady? Or is it, oof, watch out for her, she's got a bit of a tongue on her, she's a bit of a dragon. Or, or watch out for him, oh, he's got a real temper on him, don't, don't upset him. Is that, is that how you're known? By your neighbours and your work colleagues? Or do they say, do you know what, he's such a lovely Man, even though I know where he stands, he doesn't quite agree with this, that, and the other, he's such a kind person. Do you know, sometimes Christians can be more concerned about how people watch their language around them, and they, talk, they speak into that, but they're not concerned for the person themselves. Do you know, it's much better to be known as somebody who that person can say, yeah, do you know I can just pour out my heart to them when I'm going through a difficult time because I know that they're a safe person. I know that they care for me. That's how we want to be known. But John, in this passage, isn't particularly talking about the world out there at the moment. He's talking about love for the church. And by the church, it's not buildings, it's you and I. It's people that are born again, people that, that are saved. And he's very strong on it. He says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he hasn't seen. And this is a commandment, i.e., if you love Jesus, you don't have a choice in this. It's a command. Whoever loves God must love his brother. And sister, it's, a, it, it's talking about loving the church. How are you doing this morning at loving the church of God today? Do you know, it's actually a sign of where your faith is. Don't kid yourself. Don't think, oh, it's because of, oh, of they, they, these people that I don't really feel very loving towards the church. Actually, it's a sign of where your faith is. Christmaker says this, In essence, faith and love are inseparable. In God's family, faith in God and love for him and his children are totally integrated. How are you doing at loving one another in the church? You know, sometimes people can talk about, oh yeah, I love the church, and they talk about it in such general terms. It's actually an excuse for not loving people specifically, people in this room around you. That's where the, the rubber hits the road, as it were. Are there people here in this room that you don't know very well? You're thinking, oh, I'd love, I love, to, love to get to know them better. I'd love to, I'd love to uh, go around their house for dinner. Well, you do it first. You do it first. You be the person that goes out and speaks to them and invites them over. Helping, offering to help each other. You know, I love it in the, um, in the church... When I came back to God, I loved the fact that in the church you get old and young 
talking to each other. And can I encourage young people, older people, talk to each other. Don't just sort of stay, stay away from each other in our groups. I love the fact that in the church, that is how it's supposed to be, that we look after each other, that we love one another. Sometimes, you know, we blame other people for our own problems, don't we? We, we sort of uh, say things like, well, no one's very loving towards me. We don't, we don't say those words. We say things like, well, no one's very friendly to, towards me. But, you know, I know it's a poor translation of Proverbs 18, verse 24, but the, the authorized, the King James Version, there's uh, a lot of truth in when it says, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. I.e., if you're a friendly person, you're going to have friends. My friends, we're called to be friendly to everybody in this room, and in fact, everybody that we come across. How are you doing at loving one another? Yes, I know people have their faults, they have their irritable bits, their annoying habits and stuff like that, but guess what? So do you. So I'm really surprised that you know, Anna deserves a medal for how she's put up with me for the last 18 years with all my annoying habits. I mean, I even annoy myself, so it must be really, really bad for my wife. But do you know what? The same is true for you, isn't it? So we need to almost get over ourselves and, and show love to other people, despite their annoying habits, despite the little things that they do that you find irritating. And, and guess what? Even if they're a bit worse than you, even if they're, you know, you're, 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 you're doing better at shaving off those irritable bits, you're just reflecting your Heavenly Father more, and you'll just reflect Him even more as you demonstrate love to those people. So there's no excuse. We're called to love one another. You see, in reality, all of us, we need to grow in what the early church used to refer as double knowledge. In the early church, there was an understanding that that as we, to grow in our knowledge of God, we also needed to grow in our knowledge of ourselves as well and realize our own faults, our own weaknesses, and be dealing with that as we grow in our knowledge of God. Calvin said this, Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of ourselves. St. Augustine wrote this, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. We need to be growing in this double knowledge. As we know ourselves better, as we deal with our own weaknesses, our own failings, our own faults, not using excuses or labels or things like that for, for us not to love people properly, as we deal with that, then God's love is perfected in us. Perfected in you and perfected in me. Not that, but when it says God's, um, God's love is perfected, it doesn't mean that God's love is lacking something until it is shown in you. No, the, the Greek word for perfected, whilst it carries that meaning of perfected and, and complete, it also carries the nuance of it uh, in it, which uh, means to bring the end or goal that is proposed in it. So the goal of God's love being poured out into your life through Jesus is not just that you experience it, although that is 
part of it, but that you are changed by it. And then that through you, as his image bearers, as his true children, you show that love, bringing much glory to your heavenly Father. That, that is what God wants. That is the purpose. That is the goal of his love poured out into your life. That is when his perfect love is perfected in you and in me. And that's what he wants for us, that we are demonstrating. We're channels of his love to the world around us. Just before I finish, just a uh, uh, final thing I need to highlight. When, God, when John says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, I, I touched on it earlier, but just make clear, he's not saying that anybody who, who loves somebody has been born of God, you know, loves their family or loves uh, you know, their, their, their friends or even those sort of rare people that just love the world in, in general. He's not, he's not saying that. Whilst actually it is true that anyone who does truly love somebody knows something of God because God is love. It's not enough to save them, but it is enough. To, it is something that we can use as a bridge to draw them in to saving faith in Jesus Christ because they understand something of what God is like as they, as they understand love itself. But what John is getting at here, he's talking about, as I said, the fruit that is, should be there in a true believer's life, that we are loving and that we, that we love one another. And as it talks about one another there, actually in, in, in the letter of John, it's very clear that what he's talking about is not just people generally, it's talking about the church of Jesus Christ, that we love the church of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus himself said this, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. And that's why our, in our passage, John can confidently on the other side of it say, whoever loves the Father also loves whoever has been born of him too. You see, for the world naturally hates the church. You can see it in our, in our media. If it can do anything, show anything that the church is doing badly, it loves it. Hardly ever shows all the stuff that the church is doing constantly, which is impacting this world for, for good. You can see it there. The world naturally hates the church, whereas we as Christians are called supernaturally to love the church, the people of God. Love for God and love for one another are the outworking of true faith in the life of a believer. So to close, let's bring this talk to a close. God is love. And we as his children should be growing in love for him and one another. It's part of the fruit of knowing him, of, saving, uh, of his saving work in our lives. Amen? Amen. In a minute, Doug's going to um, come up here and lead us in, in taking communion, um, and, uh, which is obviously the ultimate expression of God's 
love for us, that Jesus laid down his life for us. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, can I just ask everyone to just bow their heads and, and close their eyes? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and as I've been speaking, you think, yeah, I want to know him. I want to surrender my life to him and experience something of his love for me and grow in his love so I can show it to others, then can I ask you just to pray this in your heart this morning? Just pray this along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you so loved me that you sent Jesus to come to earth and die for me. Please forgive me of all that I've done that is wrong, that offends you. And please help me live the rest of my life for you. I want to, be, I want to become a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've prayed that prayer along with me, please come and grab me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you more about what God has uh, done in your life and what you've just done by surrendering to him this morning. But for the rest of us, can I, can I just invite the, the band back here, please? And for the rest of us, can I invite us, if you can, just to stand and just to stretch out your hands before God. Because God wants to pour his love into your life afresh this morning. He's got more of his love. You may be here this morning and you may be struggling, not feeling that, that, that love. You, you know you've felt it in the past, but just where you're at at the moment, you're just feeling, oh, I just feel distant. I just feel, God, you don't care. Just reach out to him. Now, God is love, and he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. For some of you, you're here, and as I've been speaking, you've been thinking to yourself, yeah, I've, I've become a bit of a, a, a dam of God's love rather than a river. I've sort of uh, been keeping it for myself, and I've been not letting it th flow through me into other people. And you just need to just in your own heart, just say sorry for that and say, God, I'm going to make a difference today. I'm going to go and show some more of your love to, to that person or to this person. It may even be specific people that you're struggling to show God's love with and he wants to work through you this morning. Let's just receive from our Father. Let's just receive from the one who is love. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are love. And Lord, I just pray, would you come, even now by your Holy Spirit, and just pour out your love afresh into our hearts, Lord God. Thank you that, Lord God, you, we're not trying to twist your arm here, but we're your children saying, Dad, we want to experience more of your love amongst us. Heavenly Father, just come. Pour out your spirit, Lord. I just pray for each of these dear brothers and sisters in the room 
now, Lord. Come and fill them with your love. Those that are feeling dry, those that are feeling distant, those that are feeling weary, Lord God, just come, Father God, and fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord God, come and touch their lives now, Lord God. Those that are, that are feeling, uh, experiencing your love, Lord God, I pray just give them more. Lord God, Father, thank you that there's no limit to your love, Lord God. There's no selfish amount that we can have of your love, Lord God. The more we get, the more we can give away, Lord. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, just come and fill us afresh, Lord. Fill us, continue to fill us, Lord, as we worship. Continue to fill us each day, Lord God, with more and more of your love.